Sorry, Scott, for not answering your question last time. Oh, we were supposed to answer that. <laughs> well, he asked what were our prayer requests, and so we sent it to him directly. Okay. But I didn't realize that that was a question. Oh, I missed it for the podcast. For the podcast. Oh, gotcha. Yes. Yeah, I guess we're continuing every week. Yes, we are. <laughs> Second impediment, now I think there are others, but another big impediment is culture. The culture of a group. Now you're probably wondering, what do I mean by that? What I mean is that every group has some culture to it. And I'm not talking about ethnicity. Ethnicity is a factor in culture, but it's not ultimately what determines culture. It can determine culture. When it does determine the culture of a community in a church context, I think it has really debilitating and negative effects to a group. We should be able to have a wide diversity of peoples from ethnicity, socioeconomic range, personality types, interests, life stage. Education level. Education level in a group. But the only way I think it actually will reflect truly a gospel community is that the culture is Christ. Christ is truly the bond by which we're gathering. It's not going to be ethnicity. And I've been parts of groups where everyone was ethnically the same and their culture was their ethnicity. And when that happens, we've both experienced this before, when you gather, you meet, you talk, there's a lot of bond because the fact of the matter is, is that Ethnic culture has a lot of commonality when it comes to food and entertainments, uh, personal background experience, family upbringing. So there's a lot of connectionalism that happens. But what's interesting is you can eat really well food that you like, and you can talk about a lot of subjects. But once it's time to study God's word, it is literally like pulling teeth. Once it's time to pray, it's praying not about God's glory, but this request, this request, this request. It's all supplication. Now you think Joe this past weekend, he was talking about ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Those type of times tends to be where God's word is, it's almost as if the time to study God's word is either on the positive side, an addendum, but on the negative side, almost like a drawback to the time. It's like, oh, I guess we have to do this. No one will say that like that, but it feels like that. And then the prayer time is, Let's pray over all of the things that we need rather than we adore you, Christ. You are the king. You know, you gave your life for me and all I have is you. And if I only have you, I have everything. Like that type of adoration and in real like um, a coming around to the fullness of our righteousnesses in Christ. We've been purchased by the blood of the lamb. God averted his wrath towards us through his son. We have been adopted as sons and daughters. Like to have that type of framework in a gospel community, which is the gospel, right? I don't so often see that when you see a culture of the group being reflective only of its either ethnic heritage or common interest or life stage is a big one. We all have young kids. So I've experienced groups like this, and I want to hear your take on all of what I just said, where everyone who gathers, they're all the same life stage. They're all married. They all have young children. I've been a part of groups like that. And so the kids are running around like crazy. Everything's about them. During a gospel well, do you remember? During eating time? Oh, this past Tuesday? Yes. 
So during Gospel Well, we had this big spread, four tables. Soon as it's time to eat, guess who goes up there to eat first at the buffet line? Children. Children. So I did the mean Grinch thing. I said, kids, I'm sorry to say you might in your homes or wherever, maybe you always eat first. You are the king of your family. Here, we're going to honor the women of our church, the ladies. Let them eat first. Then you can go. And then the guys will eat last. And I could sense from them this shock of, but I always eat first. Really? I didn't see it. I didn't, didn't pay attention it. to it. They were actually, I feel like something is a little wrong there. Not wrong. It's, it's not moral, but it's what are we teaching our children when we're at a big meeting? There's all this food and it's like the kids think I get to eat first. This is my food. I know this is really petty. But that's what I mean is we've, you create cultures without realizing that the culture is being created because it's, that's just our operating system. And so when we're in a small group, if the kids are the center of everything, Jesus is not the Lord over this culture of this group. It is children. And we talked about the idolatry of children. Well, that's being exacerbated by all the different ways in which we passively or without intentionality, just create a group solely based on life stage. And the life stage is all about the children. They get to eat first, their sports are critical, their education is everything. And Jesus is only a part of that. Now, I've been a part of that type of group. And that type of group, one thing you don't see is transformation because of the gospel. You don't see that. You see a type of person or family that says Jesus is one part of it. And so they sort of operate on those terms and it influences everyone around, not just in that group, but in the whole church. The whole church becomes a place where only certain types of people are welcome with only certain types of educational level, this type of ethnicity. And that is a huge impediment to gospel community. I'd love to hear what you think. I know that that happens, how you describe the group dynamics, the culture of a group, but I'm trying to correlate why that precludes or how that kind of culture keeps at bay the true glory in God, honest look at my real need in Jesus and exalting Christ who I desperately need in my life. I think one of the things that has been really good for me in talking about gospel community and mission is preaching John 4 at the same time because you have Jesus going to this Samaritan woman at the well and that phrase Samaritan woman one deals with ethnicity the other deals with not just gender but almost a whole system of how one views significance of a person and when Genesis chapter 1 verses 27 through 28 talks about the image of God that male and female he created them in God's eyes we are ontologically equal men and women completely like there really is now there's there's functional roles but in terms of equality it's equal and so when Jesus encounters this woman he's essentially upending a system that has distorted God's original intent because suddenly this woman who's considered to be nothing is lifted up and suddenly this half-breed Samaritan ethnically is lifted up and the disciples are shocked I think there's something about that. Jesus is saying, what draws me to this woman is just simply my glory and my will to show this person that they are in every way able to hear the gospel as anyone else. And become a true worshiper of God. Regardless of where you worship, right? 
And so that's a real change of gospel community. And when you think that the disciples come and see Jesus and they're just sort of shocked that he's talking to this Samaritan woman, it's meant to, again, to upend this view of what community and, and family and social dynamics is supposed to be like. In Christ, we're supposed to be together because of the gospel, because of him, because of what he's done. And we should have those eyes that are able to see beyond skin tone, racial heritage, ethnic heritage, cultural heritage, economic, economics, life stage, even morality. I mean, that's another thing that he broke is this woman doesn't deserve compared to the Pharisees, compared to Nicodemus, who is a much more morally righteous man. And then that just flows out towards mission because she then goes and tells, (laughs) you know, so that's what we'll talk about next time. But I think we have to take that as something because when you're saying, I've heard this before. I think we hear it in scripture, you know, it's not just that people talk about it. It's, well, Jesus actually did it. And somewhere along the way we get, because of sin, our own spiritual blindness and giving into our own temptations is that we just disregard all that. And we go back to every dog goes back to its vomit. And our vomit is whatever we're comfortable with. Whatever is the least path of resistance is what we choose. And in this instance, it's, hmm, I'm going to just hang out with people who are exactly like me. So therefore, I don't have to do anything or try hard. But in doing so, I don't need Christ. I mean, that's the bottom line, which if I don't need Christ, then there's no gospel community because the gospel assumes Christ. And so then my participation in this small group or in whatever area of church is just another way of exhibiting my own personal effort and strength over my life. This time, though, it's in the area of religion, not necessarily in, say, my work or my family or my achievements. It's just Christianity is another part of that. And and there's no power to that. We have a couple of questions that we wanted to answer. We thought we didn't get to the other ones. So I'm going to ask you, Fuji, one question that came in. And it's this question, where does self-discipline or just discipline come into gospel life, gospel well? I think you're a good person to ask it because when you were talking about personal worship, maybe the question is, I'm assuming it's this question about personal worship again, because it's the question of discipline is important, but yet the disciplines of our walk with Christ. But can it veer off towards legalism? What does that look like? How do we live the discipline life without actually being legalistic and law-driven in our discipline as well as in our personal worship? What do you think? You have to answer the question. Actually, before I even attempt to Uh respond, I have a thought. Let me ask it because, so I won't forget. Jerry Bridges came to preach here how many times? Uh, Twice. At At two retreats. I wish I was there. We have the recordings. I actually still have them. We should republish them. Make it available. Yes. He had the book, Discipline of Grace. What would he say? You know, Jerry Bridges is one person that when I was young, I did not understand. It's like Tim Keller, actually. It's the same thing. I think what happened is that Jerry Bridges was coming from a gospel perspective. So when he's talking about disciplines of grace, I just saw the word discipline, not grace. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. His book. His book. Yeah, I read that early on. Having had the rediscovery of the gospel, then that book made sense. Yes. The thing is that you don't realize that actually it's more about grace than it is about discipline. We tend to reverse it. It's about discipline and grace is sort of a tag-along word that goes along with discipline. 
But I think when it comes to, for Jerry Bridges, it was, you understand the gospel, from the gospel, the fruit, I'm actually going to preach about this this Sunday a little bit, um, the fruit of any sort of purpose in what we do, an expression of our life has to flow from the gospel itself. And so therefore, whether it's evangelism, mission, or discipline, it's an outflow. It's not, it produces it. Um, the gospel produces discipline because you want to do it, not because by doing the discipline, it makes you closer to God. It's in Christ, you are accepted by the Lord. And so as an outflow of that, you want to discipline yourself. And when you don't, you go back to the Lord. There is a repentance aspect of it. And I think Jack Miller talks about it, the lifestyle repentance. Sometimes we have to confess our laziness or our distraction. And then we go back to Christ, remember what he's done for us. Remember the cross of Christ. Remember the f- that fact that we're righteous in him. And then we go back and try again. We discipline ourselves. We, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, we beat our bodies and make it our slaves. I don't, Paul doesn't say that because he thinks in some way doing that is going to make him holier or more accepted by God. He's already accepted by God. Just, all you have to do is read Romans 3, Romans 5, Romans 6, Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need a Bible study on Romans. (laughs) Yes. But I would say that the answer is, well, if I've experienced that, I want to discipline my body and make it my slave. And so for Jerry Bridges, that was his message of discipline. He goes and presents the foundation of the gospel. And then if you get this, then the outflow is you want to pray. You want to memorize scripture. You want to attend Bible study. You want to pray and and meditate and do all these things. But if you flip that around, then some way we think discipline, in fact, makes us righteous. And that's where we run into real problems. Righteous in the sense of a righteousness before God. What do you think? Do you think that title should have been discipline because of grace? Sometimes you create a title. The thing about titles is that sometimes the author doesn't even create the title. It's the publisher that creates the title. It's a marketing thing. I'm not saying that happened in this instance, but sometimes you create a title to actually almost intentionally create that tension. And I could see if you pick that book up, you want to almost create that tension as an author, don't you think? Yeah. It can be misleading for the person who is not thinking about this rightly, because again, you can chop off the grace part and then just think about it as a book about discipline. Right. Knowing that Jerry Bridges understood the gospel that sanctifies you, not just the gospel that justifies you, but it is the gospel that sanctifies you for discipline, that he got that from Jack Miller. As people were interviewing Jerry Bridges, where did you get this? He said, it's Jack Miller. That's right. And if you the gospel every day to yourselves, which well, Jerry Bridges quotes Jack Miller on. And then Tim Keller says the same quote, as well as Tim Keller says, cheer up. You're so much more sinful than you think that you are. That is Jack Miller. That's actually Jack Miller. Totally Jack Miller. That tri- is Jack Miller. A lot Miller. of people know it because of yes. Keller, but Keller knows it's from Jack Miller. And if you go back to Jack Miller, to preach the gospel to yourself, let's use that phrase, is everybody wants the one thing or two things got to do in order to be blessed by God. All right, let's use that legalistic tendency. Tell me, Fuji, what I got to do. Stop telling me what Jesus has done for me. Tell me what I got to do. And you know what you got to do? Never, ever, ever fail in getting the gospel. Never fail in doing that. When you do, you'll mess up. But when you get the gospel, you realize, oh, it's really not your work anyway. 
that is really Christ's work for you. But what must you do? Preach the gospel to yourself. Go to God's word for the gospel, not because you read the three chapters that God will bless you, but you go to God's word, you find the gospel in it of God's supreme work ultimately in Jesus. And then you're like, oh, I get it. That's what I'm blessed by already. That's why God is such a good God that I don't have to fear bad news. I think that is it for today. (laughs) We have one more question that we will answer next time on our next pod. Podcast. Pod sounds better than podcast. (laughs) It sounds cooler. Uh, If you have any questions, email gospelwell at wspring.org. See you next time. Thanks. Thanks.